coming up. They absolutely dismissed this case at this point because they knew they were going to lose this trial and Mr. Morphew was going to be acquitted and exonerated. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. A major announcement in the Suzanne Morphew murder case in Colorado this week. It has been almost two years now since the disappearance of Indiana native Suzanne Morphew. And tonight, her husband no longer faces charges for her death. And in Ohio, a jury has reached a verdict in the trial of a doctor charged with more than a dozen counts of murder. A doctor being accused of, of knowingly, purposely killing people, that's pretty, pretty unusual. So I, I, don't rec- I can't think of any case here in, in Franklin County or the Southern District of Ohio where we had something like this. Back in May of 2020, Suzanne Morphew went missing from her home in the mountains of Colorado. Before we talk about this announcement related to the trial of her husband, Barry Morphew, fill us in on the background of this case. Who is Suzanne Morphew and what were the circumstances surrounding her disappearance back in 2020? Suzanne Morphew was 49 years old. She was a wife and a mother of two daughters. And she'd moved from Indiana to Colorado with her family and was living in Salida, Colorado, outside of Denver, several hours outside of Denver with her husband, Barry Morphew. To tell you a little bit about Suzanne, I have some audio from a press conference where the Chaffee County Sheriff spoke a little bit about her and what he had come to know about her during the course of the investigation. I have learned that Suzanne loved her two daughters, Mallory and Macy, deeply, and there was nothing she wouldn't do for them. I've also learned that Suzanne had a passion for life and lived it to its fullest. I've also learned that Suzanne was very easy to like and was cherished by her closest friends. I believe like people like Suzanne are a rare find and those who knew her were indeed very lucky. So to get back to her disappearance, it was Mother's Day of 2020, May 10th of 2020. And it's presumed she went for a bike ride on that day. An FBI agent who investigated this case would later testify that Barry Morphew, Suzanne's husband, claimed She was asleep when he left that morning for a business trip. And then later that day, he told this FBI agent that he sent his wife a Happy Mother's Day text, and then she didn't respond. He texted again and called her. No response. Barry Morphew later told the FBI agent he became concerned and went home when a neighbor called to say that Suzanne was not around and she was missing. She was eventually reported to police that day as missing. Suzanne's bicycle was found around 7 o'clock that night. It was found undamaged, not far from the Morphew's house off the road. And then her bike helmet, also undamaged, was found about four days later, less than a mile away from, from their home as well. So again, this was back in May of 2020. Searches kicked in right away on May 22nd. So about 12 days later, the FBI searched the construction site where Barry Morphew had been working. And then all through the spring and the summer, searches continued, and they would eventually include hundreds of people on the ground, as well as dive teams, search dogs, and aerial drones over those many months, and then what would eventually extend into years at this point. But back then in 2020, uh, her brother Andy even organized a team of people to go to Colorado, and they came in from all around the country to help search for Suzanne Morphew, but she was never located. And there was really very little in terms of evidence that investigators spoke of at the time, or even to this day that we've we've really heard about. Uh, there was no indication of, of blood or DNA or anything like that that has come out of this investigation. 
But while all of this was going on, these search efforts were underway. Investigators would learn that there had been some signs of trouble in Suzanne and Barry Morphew's marriage. What have they revealed about that? Yes, much of that was revealed back in August of last year, and it was during a court hearing. At the time, KUSA 9 News reporter Mark Salinger reported on on what he heard at that hearing. It's been a day of bombshell reveals, as investigators said today, that Suzanne Morphew had a two-year-long affair leading up to the day that she disappeared. Now, they say that she spied on her husband, Barry, using a spy pen, believing that he was having an affair as well. Investigators do not believe that Barry was having an affair. Now, the man investigators called her lover did not come forward to investigators when she disappeared and only spoke with them months after she was missing when they learned about the affair. The judge also saw text messages today between Suzanne and a friend. In those, Suzanne details a struggling marriage where she talks about feeling unsafe and contemplates getting a restraining order against Barry. We are hearing much more than we've heard in a year and a half, Mark. As you know, this investigation, the information was just little tidbits along the way. Yeah, they've been very tight-lipped throughout this entire past year, and the affidavit is sealed. Many of the tort documents are sealed here, making it very hard to get any information. So everything that's said inside the courtroom behind me right now is new to everybody listening. All right. Thank you. Mark Salinger reporting. Thanks. So investigators say Suzanne actually sent a photo on May 9th, 2020, and that was the day before she disappeared to that man in Michigan that investigators say she was having an affair with for two years. Investigators also learned that Suzanne and that man had talked about marrying each other one day and even moving to Ecuador as part of their investigation. So these searches continued, still no sign of Suzanne Morphew. But then almost a year after she was last seen, Barry Morphew was arrested. What were the charges and what else did we learn at that point about the investigation? It was May 5th of 2021, so last year in May, Morphew was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, tampering with a deceased human body, tampering with physical evidence, possession of a dangerous weapon, and attempt to influence a public servant. Here is the Chaffee County Sheriff and also District Attorney Linda Stanley speaking to reporters at a press conference on the day of Morphew's arrest. Today marks a major milestone in this investigation of Suzanne Morphew's disappearance. We're announcing that at 0915 hours this morning, the Chaffee County Sheriff's Office arrested Suzanne Morphew's husband, Bernie Morphew. He was taken into custody near his home in Poncha Springs. He was alone at the time of his arrest, and he was arrested without incident. Although I'm not able to offer specific details, I want to assure the community that every action our investigators took in the past year led to today's arrest. I'd now like to introduce District Attorney Linda Stanley. Um, I wanted to say that thanks for being here for everybody, and there's a couple of things I'd like to address um, about this case. First, the investigation is still ongoing. Uh, Suzanne, her body has not been found, and we are still looking into that. The investigation is ongoing. Second, Barry Morphew is presumed innocent until proven guilty. That's important to remember. Third, the arrest affidavit is sealed at this time. I cannot and will not discuss it. As far as I am concerned, today is all about Suzanne. And it's about her family. And it's about all the individuals that knew her and loved her and cared about her. That's what this day is about. And it's a good day. Thank you. So Barry Morphew was arrested, as you mentioned, about a year ago now. 
His trial was set to begin in just a few days here, but the news this week is that prosecutors have decided to drop the case. What's what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, clearly the prosecution leading up to this trial had a, had a pretty rough go of it. Morpheus' defense team accused the prosecution team of, quote, committing discovery violations, and the defense attorneys argued that the prosecution didn't turn over all expert-related materials in the case. And the court record indicated a continuing pattern by the prosecution to fail to comply with obligations under something called Rule 16, which is their obligation to turn over discovery ahead of trial. So you often hear about that, you know, turning over everyone that you'll have appear or testify during a trial. The judge wrote their actions amount to negligent and arguably reckless disregard of that rule in subsequent orders. So all of this resulted in really strict sanctions from the judge because of these repeated violations. And the sanctions excluded 12 of the 14 expert witnesses who were set to testify. Prosecutors said without those expert witnesses, they just didn't have a strong enough case to go to trial. That's what innocence looks like right there. Nine days before he was set to stand trial for the alleged murder of his wife, Suzanne, Barry Morphew emerged from a Colorado courtroom Tuesday, all smiles, a free man. On either side of him, holding his hands, his two daughters. Barry and his daughters are relieved, but they're sad because they too want to know where Suzanne Morphew is. The daughters said today in court they support the decision to dismiss these charges. They say their dad is innocent and they hope to find the person who killed their mother. Barry Morphew loves Suzanne Morphew. He loves her and he misses her and he wants to know where Suzanne Morphew is. Now, I should add that District Attorney Linda Stanley filed the motion to dismiss the case without prejudice. What that means is the charges could still be filed again at a later date. And meanwhile, the search for Suzanne Morphew's body has continued. What's the latest on those search efforts? Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Speaking just this week, in fact, the District Attorney has said she is still confident they'll find her remains. Again, here's reporting from our partner station, KUSA 9 News in Denver. In her motion to dismiss, that same DA said investigators believe they will soon find Suzanne Morphew's body buried under five feet of snow on a mountain above the Morphew's house, but declined to comment why they were so certain. The trial of an Ohio physician named William Husel wrapped up this week. Reed, this is a story you've covered on our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, a little while back. Fill us in on the background here. Yeah, well, this is a story we learned about from an investigative series by our partner station, 10TV in Columbus, Ohio, looking at a patient overdose scandal at a hospital there, the Mount Carmel Health System. Bennett Haberly is the reporter who broke the story. And in that series, he laid out a really detailed timeline of dozens of cases where the actions of this doctor, Dr. William Husel, and a lack of oversight were alleged to have contributed to the deaths of patients. 35 patients were ultimately identified by the hospital as having received, quote, excessive or, quote, potentially fatal doses of medication, in most cases, the, the extremely potent painkiller fentanyl, and all of those patients died. Now, when prosecutors got involved, they initially focused their case on 25 of those patients who received particularly high doses of fentanyl, 500 micrograms or more, and they charged Husel with, with 25 counts of murder at that point. But then back in January of this year, January 2022, they narrowed down their case, dismissing 11 of the initial charges and choosing to focus on 14 patients, most of whom received 1,000 micrograms of fentanyl or more. Reed, what else do we know about these patients who died after receiving these high doses of fentanyl? 
Yeah, so this is where things do get a little more complicated. These patients were very ill, in most cases terminally ill, but the allegation here is that these high doses of fentanyl accelerated their deaths, that that they had time left and that the families in many of these cases say that that time was taken away from them, that their loved ones should not have been given these doses. Some of the families told 10TV that Dr. Husel even convinced them that their family members were in worse shape than they actually might have been. He said, I can promise you that he will not suffer and he'll go quickly. Did they tell you that Jim was brain dead? They said his, he was in complete organ failure. That's what right. they told us. That's basically what they told us too. Yeah. We've heard from Husel's attorneys all along the way. They've said that he was providing comfort care for patients who were already dying. But an analogy we heard from the, the now former prosecutor who was the one who, who first brought these charges was that these patients were like a candle that had some wax left, but Husel's actions were akin to blowing out that candle. And I have found no one, nowhere, that says 500 micrograms of fentanyl is an appropriate use of uh, fentanyl for treatment of someone being taken off a ventilator. You mentioned the allegations here went beyond the actions of just this one doctor, that a lack of oversight allegedly contributed to these deaths. Before we get into the trial, has the hospital been held to account for any of these deaths? That's been a huge part of 10TV's reporting on this. So state health inspectors found that Husel was using an override function on a medication dispensing machine to essentially bypass the hospital's pharmacy. And sources inside the hospital told this to Bennett Haverly directly. So in other words, you, you could order, you wouldn't have to tell the pharmacy you were doing a ventilator withdrawal? That's exactly right. You could just say, I need 1,000 micrograms of fentanyl. That is exactly right. And some of the families here said that this was proof that the hospital wasn't doing what it should have been doing to protect its patients. This proves their negligence. It, it just proves to me that they, they, uh, uh, they weren't guarding, watching the ship. They, uh, the records should speak for themselves. Bennett Haberly's investigation also revealed the hospital first learned of an allegation involving Dr. Husel's patient care on October 25th, 2018, but that the hospital didn't remove him from patient care until November 21st, 2018, and that during that window of time, three more patients under his care died. So there have been all these questions about the hospital's role here, whether they did their job in making sure their patients were getting the care they should have been getting. And 10TV found that there have been a number of lawsuits filed by these families against the Mount Carmel Health System in the time since this news broke. And just from 2019 to 2020, they found the hospital system paid out more than $16.7 million in settlements related to these cases. And Reed, getting back to the criminal case against William Husel, what happened when this case finally went to trial? Well, we have the defense telling the jury that Dr. Husel was providing comfort care. And we have the prosecution saying he committed murder in these 14 cases. And for a jury to try to sort this out, it's really difficult to figure out where exactly the line is between comfort care and actually accelerating the deaths of patients. A lot of doctors would prescribe fentanyl to patients like the patients in this case. But the question that this jury had to figure out was how much is too much? And that's, I think, why the prosecution kept narrowing down the counts against Dr. Husel leading up to the trial. Remember, the hospital initially identified 35 patients as having received high doses. Prosecutors then initially charged Husel with 25 counts, and he ultimately faced 14 counts at trial. And the way I understand it, what the prosecution was trying to do was say, 
yeah, there might be some gray area here, but we're only going to charge in the cases that are so egregious that they're just outside of that gray area. And at first, they seem to be drawing that line at 500 microgram doses, which was the 25 cases. And then they narrowed it down to mostly cases involving doses of 1,000 micrograms of fentanyl or more. But this was still not a simple case. You know, jury members are, are not doctors. And for most of us, the difference between 100 micrograms and 500 micrograms and 1,000 micrograms, it doesn't sound like much. Those all sound like small numbers to me. But there are huge differences when you're talking about a drug as potent and, and as potentially deadly as fentanyl. And so the prosecution and the defense both had to explain their cases in terms that, that you or I or anyone on a jury could understand. And testimony in this case ended up lasting seven weeks, and the jury heard from 54 witnesses. And at the end of all that, the jury ended up deliberating for six days. At one point in their deliberations, they even told the judge they were at an impasse and unable to reach a verdict. The judge told them to resume their deliberations, and they did eventually come to a unanimous verdict. So this really long and what sounds like rather convoluted trial came to an end. What did the jury ultimately decide? Well, they found Dr. Husel not guilty. And they had the option to choose between murder or a lesser charge of attempted murder. But after deliberating for those six days, they found William Husel not guilty on all 14 counts. We've been following this trial week after week after week. So we wanted to know what is next. And the bottom line, well, it is not over. It's not over for Dr. William Husel. He has now cleared one roadblock. The problem is his attorneys now are preparing for the next road that they will go down. Now, all eyes were glued to the TV yesterday when this came down. The jury acquitting Husel yesterday of those 14 murder charges. But the victim's families are still not letting go by proceeding with several civil laws. Suits. Attorneys for the family say that they are moving forward and depositions could begin as soon as next month. But while this is going on, attorneys for Husel have indicated that Husel will proceed in trying to get his medical license reinstated. His license is currently suspended and he could go before the state medical board in the near future to try and get his license back. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us this story. I mentioned that Reed covered this case on our podcast, True Crime Chronicles. If you want to check out that episode and get uh, more details on on this case, you can listen to True Crime Chronicles episode number 91 titled Deadly Dosage. And also I've covered the Suzanne Morphew case early on. Actually, it was in June of 2020, so months after she disappeared on True Crime Chronicles back on episode 53. You can listen to that as well and hear some of the audio and in fact, Barry Morphew's plea to the public uh, that he made to uh, help find his wife, Suzanne Morphew. If you haven't listened already, be sure to check out our newest podcast. It's a co-production with 12 News in Phoenix. It's called Locked Inside, available wherever you listen to podcasts.